Well, if you would at this time, take your Bible and turn to Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15. And we're going to read the first five verses, but we're actually going to be looking at uh, verses 1 through 15 as we go through the, ver- the, the message today. And uh, as you're turning there, if you would join me in standing for the reading of God's Word, if you're able to do so. Mark 15, uh, 1 through 5. The Word of God says this, And straightway in the morning the chief priests held a consultation with the elders and scribes and the whole council, and bound Jesus and carried him away and delivered him to Pilate. And Pilate asked him, Art thou the king of the Jews? And he answering said unto him, Thou sayest it. And the chief priests accused him of many things, but he answered nothing. And Pilate asked him again, saying, Answerest thou nothing? Behold, how many things they witness against thee. But Jesus yet answered nothing, so that Pilate marveled. And let's pray together one more time. Father, we thank you for this service thus far, for the opportunity to sing praises unto you, to be able to humble ourselves and to bow the knee before the God of all creation, the one who spoke and all things came to be, the one who loved us so much and that he was willing to send his only begotten son. Lord, now as we come into your word and, and, and turn our attention to your word, I pray, Lord, that you would remove distractions from our minds and from this service And help us to focus in on your word and your will for our life. And Lord, I pray that each of our hearts uh, today would be good ground for your word. Lord, the seed of the word is going to go out today. And I pray, Lord, each of our hearts would be that good ground for that seed. And Lord, may it bring forth uh, much fruit as a result. I pray, Lord, that we would be good hearers of your word. But more than that, help us to be good doers of the word. I pray these things in Christ's name and for his sake. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. As we come into Mark chapter number 15, we just ended Mark 14 last week. And uh, Mark 14, the longest chapter in the Gospel of Mark. And now we come into 15, and now we are getting very, very close to the cross. We are literally just a few hours from the cross here as we begin chapter 15. And, and just a spoiler alert, uh, later in Mark chapter 15, Jesus is crucified. So this is the chapter, and so this is a very sobering uh, passage of Scripture we're about to embark upon. Uh, after detailing the denial of Peter at the end of chapter number 14, which we looked at last Sunday... Jesus, in, or I mean Mark, picks it up in chapter 15, returning back to the narrative regarding Jesus Christ and what was happening to him. Now, we know that Jesus said in John chapter number 14 and verse number 6, when Thomas said, hey, we don't know where you're going and we don't know how to get there. Remember, Jesus said, well, I am the way. And what was the next one? The truth and the life. And so here we have Jesus as the truth 
And he is standing before this council, and then ultimately Pilate, who had the human ability to deliver him or to uh, cause him to be executed. Here we have the truth on trial, and so that's the title of the message today, Truth on Trial. Now, the truth of the matter is, um, you you can't persecute truth. Truth is truth. And uh, so Jesus is there on trial, and uh, we are going to study this and learn some things, some important lessons as we uh, pick out some details from this particular passage. And as I was looking at this passage this week and and thinking about uh, what to bring to our church family uh, today, uh, four details in this passage really stuck out to me and some lessons that go along with each of those details. So let's go ahead and jump into it. So first, let's notice here as we uh, just read a moment ago that the Christ was peaceful. So first of all, we're going to notice that the Christ was peaceful. The Messiah, the Savior, as he was in that very chaotic moment, he was peaceful. And as I was thinking about what Jesus was facing here, um, this pales in comparison, of course, but I was thinking to uh, those moments that uh, maybe you have experienced too, especially those who have driven for any length of time, and uh, you're looking in your rearview mirror and you see some pretty lights go on in that rearview mirror. And, uh, and, and, a, and a car that is painted black and white with a black and white paint job comes up right behind you and is motioning you to go over to the side of the road. I've only heard about this. It's never actually happened to me. Okay, that's not true. I'm not even telling the truth when I'm preaching on truth on trial. Um, it's happened to me on uh, too many occasions. Um, I know one is too many, but... When you're in that scenario and and the the police officer comes over, it is a scary, scary moment. There was one time when uh, my wife and I were driving from Southern California to Arizona for her her grandfather's funeral, and I was going to be the preacher at this this funeral. I was going to speak at it and... And so we were on our way. It was just my wife and I, and and we drove in the. It, it was it was a nighttime, and and we just got to talking, and I was totally oblivious to how fast we were going and to what the speed limit was. Well, like I said a moment ago, I was looking in my rearview mirror, and I saw those pretty pretty lights, and I was like, oh boy. And now I've been pulled over before, and and typically, you know, the, the the police officer comes over, has me roll down the window, you know, exchange all that information, and then he comes back and gives me a, a special piece of paper. Okay, I've had that happen on a couple occasions. Well, this time he pulls me over and he says, "Sir, I'm going to need you to come with me." I'm like, "What? What in the world?" And my wife is sitting there and she's panicking. I mean, this was. This was horrible, and, and so he, he gets me out of the car, and he takes me over to his car, and he has me give him his license. He looks at my license, and he says, oh, look, you have a commercial driver's license. What, why do you have a commercial driver's license? And I was telling him, well, sir, I'm a youth pastor. <laughs> and, uh, and he's like, oh, really? And he, I, I said, yeah, I need to uh, be able to drive the bus to take our teens on activities. And so I ended up getting a commercial driver's license. And he's like, oh, really? So where are you headed? And I said, well, I'm going to Arizona. You know, there, my, my, my wife's grandfather passed away, and I'm going to be the preacher at this, um, 
at this uh, service. And uh, he said, really? So do you know how fast you were going? And I said, sir, honestly, I don't. I was just talking to my wife and I just uh, lost track. He's like, have you ever heard of cruise control? <laughs> said, yes, I've heard of cruise control before. He's like, you may want to consider using it. And throughout this whole time, I mean, I'm shaking. I mean, my heart is beating a million miles an hour out of my chest. And like, I've never been called out of my car before. And uh, he, he gives me a warning. He says, I'm going to give you a warning. You just need to slow down. Use that cruise control the rest of your trip, please, sir. And I said, yes, sir, I will. You bet. And uh, so then I get in the car and my wife is thinking, you know, oh, my husband's going to go to prison for the rest of his life, you know, or something like this, because uh, I got called out of the car, and, and I come in, and she's like, okay, so you got a ticket, and I was like, I get a piece of paper, yep, I got it, and so I kind of played it off for a little while, and uh, she was, uh, I, I kind of led her to believe that I got a ticket, and then I finally said, okay, he just gave me a warning, and so that she would be happy again. She was a little bit happier, but not much. And uh, so we ended up getting there, of course. Now, many of you have experienced something similar to that, um, talking to a police officer when you were guilty. And, and it's, it's a scary scenario. Well, here Jesus um, is standing before a very powerful man by the name of Pilate. Now, Pilate, Pontius Pilate, he was the Roman prefect or governor of Judea. He was um, the one who ordered, of course, the crucifixion of Jesus. Well, as governor, though, Pilate had the authority to command Roman military units. He authorized construction projects. He arranged for the collection of imperial taxes. And then he decided civil and criminal cases such as what was before him with Jesus Christ, the truth standing before him. And Jesus here is standing before Pontius Pilate, who was a very powerful man who had tremendous authority. And, and yet here, the Lord Jesus, it is interesting to me, had total composure. He, he was at peace. He was peaceful in a time when most would begin to completely panic and lose their mind, especially knowing they were innocent. But Jesus was peaceful. Now, no doubt Jesus could have, as he was asked these questions, he could have stood up there and rightfully and very efficiently and effectively defended himself. He could have said, you know I am the Son of God. You do know that, right? Because of all the prophecies, if you study them in, in the Old Testament, I mean, uh, where, Jesus, where the Messiah was going to be born, guess where I was born? I was born in Bethlehem. Just like the prophet said, uh, how he was to be born. Well, he was to be born of a virgin, and, and I, was, I was born of Mary, and she was a virgin. All those Old Testament prophecies regarding the Messiah, regarding the one who is going to be the Savior of the world, I have fulfilled all of those things. And he could have listed them accurately and effectively and efficiently and powerfully. But instead, he decided not to defend himself. Um. He could have done that, but instead, it is interesting, he remains silent. A couple times here, in uh, verse number 3, the chief priests accused him of many things. He answered nothing. Crickets. 
And then verse 5, Jesus, I'm sorry, verse 4, Pilate asked him again, Answerest thou nothing? Behold how many things they witness against thee. Verse 5, Jesus answered, or yet answered nothing, just quietness, just peace. Now, he could have gone ballistic, and he would have been right to do so in defending himself. But instead, he remained silent. He remained peaceful. Why would he do that? Well, because I'm telling you, there has never been a time when Jesus wasn't in complete control. I'd like to invite you to hold your place here in Mark 14 and turn to John chapter number 19. John chapter 19. John details a little bit more of this exchange between Jesus and Pilate and and Pilate grows frustrated with Jesus not really talking and, and being so peaceful and being in complete control or having total composure. And so in John 19, if you look with me in verse number 10, um, Pilate saith unto him, Speakest thou not unto me? He's getting frustrated that Jesus just won't answer the power of uh, this powerful man named Pilate. And so he says, Speakest thou not unto me? Knowest not Knowest now not that I have power to crucify thee and have power to release thee? He said, you don't, do, do you even know who you're not talking to? <laughs> I mean, normally it's like, do you know who you're talking to? He wasn't talking to Pilate, and so Pilate's like, you don't even know who I am. I have the power to release you or to crucify, crucify you. And notice Jesus' response in verse number 11. To that, he does speak. In verse 11, Jesus answered, Thou couldest have no power at all against me, except it would be given thee from above. Therefore, he that delivered me unto thee hath the greater sin. And we can flip back over to uh, Mark 15, but there in John 19, Jesus says, Hey, all the power you have, basically I'm the one that gave it to you. And so you do not have power over me. I am, the, I am completely in charge of this whole scenario. See, Jesus was and always has been in complete control. And so that's why he was able to deal with what he was going through with complete peace. The Christ was peaceful. Okay, but what about you and I? Because guess what? You and I also face chaotic scenarios in our life. We face trials and tribulations, problems that are a little bit uh, overwhelming at times and can we have peace during those moments? I would say as a believer, yes, absolutely. You and I can and literally should have peace in those moments. John 14 and verse number 27, Jesus said, Peace I leave uh, with you. My peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. So as we look at this world and what's going on and, and the potential crises that we may face as, a, as, as believers, as a nation in the days ahead, uh, we can still have peace because guess what? He's still in control. You say, well, man, it's going chaotic. I was uh, reading about uh, the fact that in, in, I guess in South Africa, there's some civil war going on and, and it's just crazy. Even through all of that, God is still on the throne. And when, guess what? When you get a doctor's call saying, hey, we need you to come in, and the test results came back, we need you to come in today. 
And it's like, we'll, we'll tell you when you get here. And you have those moments. Guess what? God is in control in those moments. God is in complete control at all times. And Jesus understood this. And Jesus knew that. And he was in control. Isaiah 9 and verse number 6. Can I remind you what one of the names of our Savior is? Unto us a child is born, the prophet said. Unto us a son is given. The government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful, Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, and the what? Prince of Peace. Prince of Peace. So here's the deal. If Jesus can have peace in this moment of chaos, you can have peace in your moment of chaos if he resides within. If you are in Christ and Christ is in you, then ladies and gentlemen, brothers and sisters, we can have peace in the difficulties and the trials and tribulations of this life. So I guess it begs the question, is the Prince of Peace in you? And if not, why not today? Why not invite the Prince of Peace to come and save you from your sin and, and give you eternal life and peace to live in this life and deal with the challenges and tribulations that come our way? John 16, Jesus said this, These things have I spoken unto you, that in me ye might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. As we consider all the challenges that may come into our lives, financial crisis, uh, maybe family issues, maybe uh, work problems, maybe uh, for those who are still in school, uh, the, the, the tests that come that are a little overwhelming and grades aren't as great as you wish they were. Uh, whatever, whatever the challenges you're facing, you can have peace knowing that God is in control. And I'm thankful for God's sovereignty in this situation. So, as we go through this passage here in Mark, I do see that the Christ was peaceful. And there's a good lesson for us in that. But I notice, as we move down through this passage, I notice, secondly, the crowd was persistent. I pick it up here in verse number 6. It says, Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And there was one named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. And the multitude, crying aloud, began to desire him to do as he had ever done unto them. But Pilate answered them, saying, Will ye that I release unto you the king of the Jews? For he knew that the chief priests had delivered him for envy. But the chief priests moved the people that he should rather release Barabbas unto them. And Pilate answered and said again unto them, What will ye then that I shall do unto him whom ye call the king of the Jews? And they cried out again, Crucify him. Well, verse 14, Pilate said unto them, Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out, The more exceedingly crucify him. So this crowd was persistent in their desire to crucify Jesus Christ. Now, I want to remind you who this crowd was. When it says they, who were, who were they? Okay, well, just a few days before uh, Mark chapter 15, uh, many of these same people lined the streets of Jerusalem. They laid their garments and palm branches down so that the Lord Jesus could make a triumphant entry into Jerusalem on a donkey. 
So these were the same people in Mark 15 who just a few days before, during that jubilant scene when Jesus enters into Jerusalem, they were the same people crying out, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. They were the ones cheering, and they participated in the cheering and excitement as they welcomed their king into Jerusalem. And now, here they are crying out against Jesus Christ, wanting him to be crucified. Now, what happened? Why the change in just a short time? Why would they go from saying, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, to just a couple days later saying, crucify him, crucify him? Why would they do that? Well, when they were there on that Palm Sunday as Jesus makes his way into Jerusalem, they thought he was coming to give them political freedom and to set them free from Roman oppression. You see, they really thought that Jesus came to make Israel great again. Okay? They, they thought, oh, good, uh, goody, a new king to save us from the Romans so that we don't have to pay any more taxes, so that we don't have these Roman guards walking everywhere, bullying us around. Uh, he, he's come to set us free from all that. Well, that's not exactly why he came. And so really, the reason they were worshiping him then, they were worshiping him for who they wanted him to be rather than for who he really was and really is. And see, there's a big difference. Once they realized that Jesus was not there to set them free from the Romans, but he was come to set them free from something far greater than some political bondage, he came to set them free from the bondage of their sin, to provide spiritual freedom, which is the greatest freedom of all. They went, you know what, Dad, we're not interested in that. They were so disappointed that they were going to still have to pay taxes. They were so disappointed that uh, now they're going to still have these Roman guards walking around and, and uh, making their lives miserable. And so they decided they wanted to get rid of him. They had no need for a Savior. And so they persisted in their desire for him to be crucified. In fact, they cried for his death multiple times. Notice here in verse number 8, the multitude crying aloud began to desire him to do as he had ever done to them. So there was the first cry. In verse number 13, they cried out again, crucify him. And then verse number 14, uh, Pilate even says, hey, um, uh, why? What, what, what evil hath he done? And they cried out the more exceedingly, crucify him. And they did this to the one who came to set them free. Because... He wasn't who they wanted him to be, and they failed to worship him for who he really was. Now, I know that a lot of us kind of think we have the right to put God in our own box. We don't. See, God is God. And if you worship him so long as he makes your life just wonderful, well, what happens when he allows a trial into your life? Job, that's what, that's what Satan thought that Job was all about. Hey, the only reason he is faithful to you, Lord, is because uh, you bless him. But once you take the blessings away, he's going to stop worshiping you. God says, no, 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 that's, that's not true. Go ahead. You can, you can affect him. 
And so, uh, in, in just one fell swoop, I mean, Job loses his uh, children, he loses his wealth, he loses his health, his relationship with his wife is messed up. In one fell swoop, that all happens, and yet Job did not sin against the Lord. He, he continued to say, blessed be the name of the Lord, even though the blessings weren't there. Because you see, Job wasn't worshiping God for who Job wanted God to be. He worshiped God for who God was. Big difference. So, are you only going to be faithful as long as everything's going hunky-dory in your life? Or the moment a trial comes, a tribulation happens in your life, and it's like, God, where are you? No, God hasn't gone anywhere. God is still God. He's still on the throne, and He's still good, regardless of what may be the circumstances in our lives. But because of all that, the crowd was persistent because Jesus failed to live up to their expectations, but he doesn't have to live up to anybody's expectations but his own. So the crowd was persistent, but then as we continue on through this, I want us to see here that the coward was persuaded. Verse number 12, Pilate answered and said again unto them, what will ye that I should do uh, unto him who you call the king of the Jews? They cried out, crucify him. And Pilate makes this appeal to them. Why? What evil hath he done? And they cried out, the more exceedingly crucify him. And notice the sadness of this next verse in verse number 15. And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. Now, in verse 14, Pilate recognizes that Jesus had done nothing worthy of death. And in Luke's account, his gospel account, Pilate actually mentions the innocence of our Savior three different times when he said, I find no fault in this man. What evil hath he done? Are you really going to want to kill this man who has done nothing, who is completely innocent? See, here's the truth. Pilate knew what the truth was, but he didn't have the backbone to make the call based on truth. Instead, he based his decision on what was popular, what everybody wanted him to do. Even though he knew that Jesus was completely innocent, and by the way, Jesus was completely innocent. There was nothing he uh, did wrong to uh, need any type of punishment whatsoever. He was completely sinless. But he based his decision on what was popular. A few years ago, psychologist Ruth Berenda and her associates carried out an interesting experiment with teenagers designed to show how a person handled group pressure. The plan was simple. They brought groups of 10 adolescents into a room for a test. Subsequently, each group of 10 was instructed to raise their hands when the teacher pointed to the longest line on three separate charts. What one person in the group did not know was that nine of the others in the room had been instructed ahead of time to vote for the second longest line. Regardless of the instruction they heard, once they were all together in the group, the nine were, to, were, were not to vote for the longest line, but rather vote for the next to the longest line. The experiment began with nine teenagers voting for the wrong line. 
But the one teenager who didn't know would typically glance around, frown in confusion, and slip his hand up with the group. I mean, the teacher would point at the second longest line, and, and then nine, nine, nine teenagers would raise their hand, and, and this, this, this one teenager who didn't really know what was going on was like, that's not the longest line. But I guess, I guess nine other people, maybe, I'm, maybe my eyes aren't right, but okay, I guess that's the longest line. And time after time, the self-conscious one would sit there saying a short line is longer than a long line simply because he lacked the courage to challenge the group. This remarkably, remarkable conformity occurred in about 75% of the cases. So an overwhelming majority of the time, that peer pressure would cause that one to bend. And it was true of small children and high school students as well. Psychologists concluded that some people would rather fit in than be right, which is certainly an accurate assessment. Some people would rather fit in than be right. Pilate here had an opportunity to do what was right, but instead he wanted to fit in. Even though he knew full well that Jesus was innocent and there was nothing wrong, nothing worthy of death in him at all, there was no fault in him. Uh, we're instructed in the book of Proverbs, my son, Proverbs 1.10, if you want to write that verse down. Proverbs 1.10, my son, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not. And there will be times when sinners will entice you and the overwhelming majority are doing wrong and it seems very difficult to go against the grain and go against the flow. My sinners, if sinners entice thee, consent thou not, son. See, just because something is popular doesn't make it right. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 7? When he said, Enter ye in at the straight gate, for wide is the gate, and broad is the way that leadeth to destruction, and many there be which go in thereat. Straight is the gate, narrow is the way which leadeth unto life, and few there be that find it. So just because many people are doing something doesn't make it right. In fact, many times it makes it wrong. In many things, the popular thing is often the wrong thing. And once a spider, or was a spider who built a beautiful web in an old house, he kept it really clean, his web, and he kept it really shiny so that flies would fly by and patronize his web. And the minute he got a customer, he would clean up on him so the other flies wouldn't get suspicious. Well, then one day, one day, this fairly intelligent fly came buzzing by the clean spider web. An old man spider called out, Hey, come on, come on over and have a seat. The fairly intelligent, the, uh, intelligent fly said, No siree, I don't see any other flies in your house and I'm not going in alone. But at the next moment, he saw on the floor below a large crowd of flies dancing around on a piece of brown paper. And he was delighted. He wasn't afraid if lots of flies were doing it. So he came in for a landing. And just before he landed, a bee zoomed by saying, Don't land there, stupid. That's fly paper. But the fairly intelligent fly shouted back, Don't be silly. 
Those flies are dancing. They're, they're having a party. There's a big crowd there. Everybody's doing it. That many flies can't be wrong. Well, you know what happened. He landed there and died on the spot. Some of us want to fit in with the crowd so badly that we end up in an absolute mess. What does it profit a fly or a person if he escapes the web only to end up in the glue? It's a good story, isn't it? See, the quest to be popular can be totally devastating, and, and this is true for teenagers. And, and I remember as a youth pastor, I talked about peer pressure on a regular basis because that is such a big deal with teenagers. Wanting to fit in with everybody, with the fashion, with the music, with the language, all of it. Being willing to say things you would never ever say just so that you would be considered cool. Be willing, to, be, be willing to change your appearance just so that you'll fit in with everybody else. That's true for teenagers, but guess what? It affects all of us. And here, Pilate, it affected Pilate so much so that he had an opportunity to do what was right and to set Jesus free, but instead, he wanted to be popular. Paul said in Galatians 1.10, For do I now persuade men or God? Do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. So look here, friends. We all need to decide who we're going to please with our lives. Men, or are we going to please the Lord Jesus Christ? Now, I want to please everybody in this room here. But ultimately, my main responsibility is to follow this book and to do what's right, regardless if you're happy or not with me. I want everybody to be happy with me, but if, that may, if that's my main goal in this life, uh, I'll just tell you that's the wrong goal. I want to please Him, because one day I'm going to have to answer to Him. I'm not going to have to answer to you. Now again, I want to please everybody here if I can, but my first priority is to please Him. And Pilate's responsibility was to do what's right, and he didn't do it. He knew the truth. And by the way, even according to the, uh, Matthew's account, even his wife tried to warn him about this, but he went with the crowd instead. He even tried to soothe his conscious, guilty conscience by taking a basin of water, if you remember that, washing his hands, declaring that he was innocent of the blood of this just person. No, Pilate, you totally played the coward, my friend. You wanted to be popular rather than be right. Now, let me, let, me, let me kind of back up a little bit. We know the sovereignty of God was at play in this scenario here. We know that the sovereignty of God led Jesus to the cross, that Jesus needed to be crucified, and, and, and this is the path that he ch chose to make. But, but I still believe that Pilate had a choice in the matter, and, and sadly he chose popularity over truth. And I hope and pray that you and I will choose truth over popularity. New teenagers, I know it's difficult. I know the, the quest to, to fit in is real. I, I, I understand that, but, but who do you want to fit in with? The crowd or with the Lord and His Word? I encourage you to fit in with the Lord. So we see the coward was persuaded. But then, this is probably my favorite part of this whole passage. Number four, this truth, the criminal was pardoned criminal was pardoned. 
you look with me in verse number 15, it says, And so Pilate, willing to content the people, released Barabbas unto them, and delivered Jesus when he had scourged him to be crucified. So the criminal was pardoned. Barabbas was let go. Barabbas was freed. Who was this man named Barabbas? Well, verse number 6 and 7 tells us a little bit more about this man. Verse number 6 says, Now at that feast he released unto them one prisoner, so he was a prisoner, whomsoever they desired. And verse 7, There was one prisoner named Barabbas, which lay bound with them that had made insurrection with him, who had committed murder in the insurrection. Okay, so first of all, we know that Barabbas, he was a rebel. And what insurrection means is that they were, he, he was fighting against Roman oppression, and so he, he tried to uh, come against the, uh, the government authorities in that day and, uh, and, and used physical force to do so. And he literally committed treason against Rome. All right, now one commentator pointed out that those who accused Jesus of treason against Caesar we're actually asking for the release of a man who was truly guilty of treason. And that's just kind of mind-boggling. I mean, they're accusing Jesus of treason against Caesar, but then they ask for Barabbas to be released unto them, who was guilty of treason. Like, hello, uh, you're not paying attention here. All right, so he was a rebel, but in his rebellion, he had also committed murder in verse number 7. During his insurrection, verse 7 says, who had committed murder in the insurrection. So in this, tri this attempt to overthrow the government and, and, and rebel against them, he ended up killing somebody. And this is the person that the people wanted to be released into them and have Jesus be crucified. Kind of mind-boggling. So he was a rebel, he was a murderer. He was also a robber, according to John chapter 18, verse number 40. Then cried they all again, saying, Not this man, but Barabbas. Now Barabbas was a robber. So we, we know that he was a thief, he was a murderer, he was a rebel. He, he was not somebody you really wanted to release back into public, and yet they wanted him over Jesus Christ, who had done none of those things. So Barabbas was guilty of death, no doubt about it. He was guilty and deserved to pay the price and to pay for his crimes. He was guilty. But guess what? So are we. You and I are guilty as well. We're guilty of sin. Romans 3 tells us that we are. Paul said, What then? Are we better than they? No, in no wise. For we have before proved both Jews and Gentiles that they are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. And it goes on to say in verse 19 of, that, of Romans 3, We know that whatsoever things the, the, the law saith, it saith to them who are under the law, that every mouth may be stopped, and all the world may become guilty before God. All of us are guilty. Well, you might say, well, yeah, I, I never killed anyone. I'm not a murderer. Okay, well, Jesus said this. You've heard that it was said by them of old time, thou shalt not kill. And whosoever shall kill shall be in danger of the judgment. But I say unto you, whosoever is angry with his brother without a cause. 
shall be in danger of the judgment. Well, I've never killed anybody. Okay, well, remember what Jesus said. He said, I never cheated on my wife. Remember what Jesus said? You've heard that it was said by them of old time, Thou shalt not commit adultery. But I say unto you that whosoever looketh on a woman to lust after her hath committed adultery with her already in his heart. I would dare say that perhaps there's some guilt, guilty individuals in that realm in the room today. Now, James 2.10 tells us, Whosoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he's guilty of all. You say, I've been a pretty good guy. You know, I pay my taxes. I don't like it, but I pay it. And I drive the speed limit. And I try to do my best. But if you have offended in one point of the law, you're guilty of the entire law. I'm going to go through this story very, very quickly. But when I was in sixth grade, one Sunday afternoon, uh, my friend and I went to the, to, to the school that we went to, and it was a warm day, and uh, I found in the, in the field a ballpoint pen that had been broken, and uh, the, the, the ink part was separated from the part that actually writes, and so it was kind of leaking. My friend said, hey, let me see that. And so he goes over to one of the walls of the uh, campus there, and he begins taking that pen and just smearing that uh, ink all over this like tan wall and I'm like what are you doing and he's like here you, 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 you draw something and so I take it and I draw a line that was literally about this long I'm not exaggerating and I give it back to him I'm like okay I'm done you, you do what you need to do and he kept drawing and this like art project on this school wall well, then we go home. The next, the next day, we're standing in line. I'm standing in line there. And uh, I forget all about what I just did the day before. And I didn't even notice it anymore. And right then, one of the, the, uh, the custodian named Tim, who was a very large man, one that you didn't want to mess with. And, and, and it, was, it was muscle that caused him to be very large. And he was the custodian there at the school, and he walks up to our classes. We're all lined up to go to our class. He says, does anybody know who did this? And he points to the wall, and I look over, and I'm like, yeah, I do. And so I raised my hand. I said, I, I know who did it. And his name is John, and I can take you to him. He was still at recess. And so I walked him over to John, and I say, um, Mr. Tim, John's the one who wrote all over that wall. And then you know what John did? He said, well, you did too. And I'm like, what are you a jerk, man? Why are you telling on me, you big rat? Of course, I was the biggest rat of them all. Well, they took us to the office, and uh, they said, uh, so what, what, what happened? Why would you guys do this? And we explained what happened, and they said, okay, well, you're going to spend the rest of the day cleaning that off. And they gave us a bucket, water, a couple sponges, and uh, they said, you're going you're gonna to scrub this all off. That's what you're going to do the rest of the day. You're not going to go to class. You're not going to have recess. You get, to, you get to do this while everybody walks by and sees you do this. Great. So I go over and uh, get my sponge, and I go to the line that I did, that one that was about this long, right? And I rub that off, and it takes a little while. It took some serious elbow grease, and I get that thing rubbed off. And then, I, and then I go back to the office and I said, okay, I'm done. 
And they came and looked and they said, no, you're not done. There's still a whole bunch more to do. And I said, well, I only did the one that I did. Well, the thing is, is you were part of it. So you get to stay and help clean the whole thing. And I was like, nice. They also, along with this, threw in a phone call to my parents, letting them know about all of this. And that didn't end well in my, one of my ends, uh, if you know what I'm talking about. <laughs> so the, the truth of the matter is, you may think, oh, look, I'm a pretty good person. I only did just like this much sin. God says, you're guilty of all of it if you did this much. And so we're all guilty. We're all like Barabbas who deserve to die, who deserve to pay for our crimes. We're all guilty of breaking God's law. But it's pretty interesting here how Jesus takes Barabbas' place. And you know, all of us are like that Barabbas man. We're all deserving of death. We're all deserving to pay for the crimes we have done against God. But, but Jesus instead took our place and paid the price that we were meant to pay. Remember what Mark 10, 45 says? Even the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. Romans 5, 8, God commendeth his love toward us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It was us who deserved to die. It was us who deserved God's wrath. But God, Jesus took it for us. Now, as I was thinking about this, how ridiculous would it have been if in verse 15, so Pilate, willing to consent the, content the people, released Barabbas unto them, comma, but Barabbas stayed and wanted to stay in his prison cell and wanted to stay and be crucified. Like, that's ridiculous. I mean, here, you've been let go? Are you serious? Sweet, I'm out of here. And he bolted, I'm sure, because he knew he didn't deserve it. But he accepted that payment, that the fact that Jesus was taking his place. Now, back in 1830, George Wilson was convicting of robbing the United States mail, and he was sentenced to be hanged. Well, President Andrew Jackson issued a pardon for Mr. George Wilson. But you know what? He refused to accept that pardon. Well, the matter went to Chief Justice Marshall, who concluded that Wilson would now have to be executed. He said, a pardon is a slip of paper, the value of which is determined by the acceptance of the person to be pardoned. If it is refused, it is no pardon. George Wilson must be hanged. Now, ladies and gentlemen, the Lord Jesus is issuing all of us a pardon. That's why he went to the cross to purchase our salvation and to give us the forgiveness of sins, to allow us to be in his family, to give us eternal life in heaven, to give us that pardon. But it does us no good unless we accept it. It does us zero good unless we receive it. How do we receive it? We receive we receive this pardon by repenting of our sin and believing on the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we believe on him, we can be set free. One more story, and then I'm going to wrap this up. When A.J. Gordon was pastor of a church in Boston, he met a young boy in front of the uh, sanctuary carrying a rusty cage in which several birds fluttered nervously in the cage. 
Pastor Gordon inquired, Son, where did, where did you get those birds? The boy replied, Well, I trapped them out in the field. Well, what are you going to do with them? Oh, I'm going to play with them, and then I guess I'll just feed them to an old cat we have at home. Well, Gordon offered to buy them. The lad exclaimed, Mister, you don't want them. They're just old little wild birds, and, and they can't sing very well. Gordon replied, I'll give you $2 for the cage and for the birds. Okay, it's a deal, but you're making a bad bargain. The exchange was made, and the boy went away, whistling, happy with his shiny coins. Gordon walked around to the back of the church property. He opened the door of the small wire coop and let the struggling creatures soar into the blue. The next Sunday, he took the empty cage into the pulpit and used it to illustrate his sermon about Christ coming to seek and to save that which was lost, and how Christ paid for them with his own precious blood. And then he said, that, that boy told me the birds were not songsters. But when I released them and they winged their way heavenward, it seemed to me that they were singing, redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. See, you and I have been held captive to sin, but Christ has purchased our pardon and given us the opportunity to set us free and to give us true freedom, spiritual freedom from our sin. When a person has this life-changing experience, he's going to want to sing redeemed, redeemed, redeemed. Now, today, what are our takeaways from this passage that we've looked at today? First of all, when our Savior was in a difficult scenario and maintained peace and composure, it teaches me that I can also have peace in my relationship with the Prince of Peace during the trials and tribulations in this life. And so do you have a relationship with the Prince of Peace? If not, today's a great day to get that started. Secondly, as we consider the persistent crowd, ask yourself if you're only worshiping God for who you want Him to be or for who He actually is. Thirdly, then, as we look at this coward named Pilate, are you seeking to please everyone around you or are you making decisions on what is right and what is true? Pilate could have made the right choice there, but instead he didn't. And then finally, Barabbas was pardoned, the criminal. And guess what? He accepted it. Have you accepted the pardon offered to you? If not, today is the day to do that. Then I do want to encourage everybody to come back next week, because next week we're going to look at the next passage, which details the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. Don't miss next week as we look at the cross of Christ. Let's pray together. Lord, we do thank you for the opportunity to look inside your word. And Lord, there's so much that we can learn from all of these different accounts in the life of Christ. Lord, we're getting close to the cross, and then Lord, it's getting very serious. And even this, this scene that we studied this morning, um, Lord, to, to, to hear these people cry for the crucifixion of the one who came to set them free is, is a little hard to wrap our heads around. But Lord, there's, if we're honest, there are some things in our own lives that, Lord, we've done that are not, we're not real proud of either. And uh, Lord, I, I pray that you'd help us to learn the lessons that we uh, highlighted this, this morning. And, 
And, and God, I pray you'd help us again to, to not just be hearers of the word, but now help us to be doers. Help us to apply these truths to our lives.